Welcome to 242, a podcast of the Buffalo Vineyard Church where we discuss topics that are important to our lives as students of the way of King Jesus. This is episode 20. I'm talking with Chuck Douglas about personality and relationships. We start by talking uh, a little bit about Chuck's life history and his passion about human personality. We talk a little bit about some of the various personality tools that are tools for gaining understanding about ourselves and about other people. We talk about the role of Christ in empowering Chuck's pastoral gifts and his his ability to work with people. We talk about how character development requires suffering. We talk about some of Chuck's basic rules for relating to other human beings. We discuss uh, human beings' fundamental desire to be understood and to be loved. And finally, we talk a little bit about the formative power of the church, the family of God. I hope you enjoy. All right, Chuck, we're on. (laughs) Well, it's a podcast. We are. We are. So one of the things you and I talk about a ton as we, we've been friends for years now and we hang out and we talk about everything, but kind of a common, a common topic of conversation for us is personality, right? Yes. Which I don't know if you would call yourself an expert on personality or not. To me, you come across as an expert on personality. I am definitely not an expert. But but you are passionate about it. I am. I am. So explain yourself. Why are you passionate about personality? Um, I think I've always wanted to understand people. Of course, understanding yourself and people and relationships is, um, you know, some of those soft skills that you don't necessarily learn in in grammar school or high school or even college necessarily. But it has so much to do with um, how we function and interact with others in the world, how we understand uh, our reality, um, you know, how we how we live our lives. And so, you know, we have the kind of tools that are helpful as far as personality or understanding personality to um, help us to navigate that process. Uh, I think we're a lot further along uh, than we would be without them. And I think a lot of times those kind of aspects as far as understanding um, how people work, how they mm-hmm. interact, how they view the world, those are things that sometimes we don't take into consideration when it comes to um, you know, our interactions, the results that we get from them, how to better those uh, results if possible, and um, how to have, you know, better relationships in general. So it's always been something that I've been passionate about probably since, you know, I was a kid. And um, that's what I was going to ask. So, yeah, so yeah. I definitely want to dig more into what you said about personality and understanding personality and tools for understanding self and others and relationships. But you, you made it sound like maybe when you were younger, you didn't understand personality as well, which like, I don't, I just realized now that I've always had this kind of like de facto picture of you in my head as like a three-year-old, like interrogating people's any type or whatever, like being this just like intuitive genius about personality, Well, which no. I don't know. So what were you like as a kid when it comes to this stuff? Well, you know, the funny thing about that is I was recently talking to an aunt of mine um, and I was not necessarily a person that I grew at the age of three, but <laughs> I was a small kid yeah, and small kids, um, have to figure out how to navigate in the world. If you're a big kid, yeah. you can push your weight around. If you're a fighter, you can, you know, go that route. Well, that wasn't me. I was a small kid. I was, was a small kid and I'm still not a very large adult. So five foot six is not very tall. That's on a good day when I'm stretched out. Uh, but having said that, when your, when your hair is sticking up. Yeah. Little. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but having said that, you know, you have to learn how to negotiate your way through situations. And, you know, if you go through grammar school or high school, you know, 
and you can't navigate that. Um, you can find yourself being picked on, bullied, etc. I've had my you know share of those kinds of experiences, like you know a lot of kids have. But eventually, I, I figured out that I do have a way with words, and so I had to figure out how to talk myself through those situations. Yeah. But just having you know the gift of gab or a way with words isn't enough. You really have to understand what you're dealing with. Right. So there's always been an interest, and even beyond you know conflict situations. But just trying to figure out how to like navigate life, how to interact yeah. with your teachers, how to interact with other adults or other kids that you're, are your age. And I remember being in high school and, um, you know, coming to Christ as um, a young person. And then immediately, because of the folks I was surrounded by and, and, and my age and, and the time of, that, you know, we were in the nation, I, you know, I, I graduated high school in 1982. So that kind of dates me a little bit as far as age wise, which is fine. Um, but being in high school in the late seventies, early eighties, um, and then coming to Christ in 1980, all of my, uh, most of my friends, not so much in school, but Christian friends, friends that I accumulated, they were five to 10 years older than I was. Mm. A lot of them, um, the people who I was surrounded with, as far as the church that I was, you know, a part of at the time, um, were, like I said, five or 10 years older. And so having to interact with adults, you kind of had to learn pretty quick how to do that. Yeah. And I wasn't the typical ordinary teenager. I mean, a lot of teenagers are out partying or doing whatever, um, you know, out in the streets or having a good time in that sense. I was a pretty serious kid. I was uh, taking care of an, an ailing father. I was um, being very responsible, probably too responsible. And uh, some of those things kind of prepared me for adult life. Yeah. Maybe a little earlier than I would have liked, but um it also helped to equip me to uh, to navigate early on. Yeah, and um, and then as I you know went to to, to college, went to Bible school, etc., and uh, found myself interacting with other students and realized, oh, you know, depending on how you present yourself, people treat you a certain way. Yeah, and you can you know sometimes we can we can feel stuck in how we present ourselves or how people perceive us, but th- some of those things can be changed or adjusted, or you can at least maximize. Um, some of your, um, your strengths and, you know, you can try to at least develop some of the weaknesses if possible, or at least compensate for them or whatever. And so self-understanding and how to navigate in the world led me to also begin to ask questions, well, what motivates other people and what are other people like? And so some of those kinds of questions and challenges, you know, you can take psych 101 in, in school, but, um, that doesn't really cut, you know, that's just, you know. So I found myself, mm. you know, sort of devouring reading material and looking like, like about personality or um, I think about psychology, counseling has always been something gotcha. that I've yeah. had an interest in. And uh, even beyond that, I found myself, um, you know, perhaps because of my faith in Christ at a young age, um, people sometimes suggested I was wise beyond my years. And so um, I began to lean into that a little bit. and tried to understand relationships and how they worked and did more reading on the subject. And then I found that sometimes the, the insight that I had actually made sense. And then beyond that, I think because of my, my faith in Christ, I began to discover that it was more than just an interest or something that I learned. I began to recognize it as some kind of um, a gift, Yeah, you know, to, to yeah. want to help other people. And um, it's something that sort of motivated, you know, much of my entire life. So, that, I mean, that totally makes sense that you are both, um, 
like naturally wired, gifted by God, having just kind of like an intuitive, well, yeah, I guess I would just call it like a pastoral gift, like pastoral in the sense of shepherding, um, you know, being a lover of people and a care of, of, of the, the, like the well being of, of souls, um, that that's something that kind of comes naturally to you. But then you've also pursued a lot of formal training or understanding you've gained tools that have helped you to do, to do that thing that you're fundamentally gifted for even, even better. Is that, is that a fair description of, I suppose so. Yeah. And yeah. it's interesting because I see a kind of a parallel with, um, one of my other loves music. Okay. Um, you know, I had a little bit of formal training as a kid, you know, you took your basic piano lessons, Yeah. but then we got to the point after about a year and a half where we really couldn't afford them any longer. Mm. Both my brother and I were taking piano lessons and, um, you know, inspired by his musical gift. He's a, you know, a wonderful singer. Um, I couldn't sing at the time, but I began to play piano and eventually I developed a singing voice. But then I also went to, you know, when I went to off to college to Bible school, I took some lessons and, took, you know, the gift that was sort of there in seed form and began to develop it. And then, you know, at a certain point, I found myself, you know, involved with worship and whatever as well. And, um, and then somehow both the, the, the talent and some training and giftedness, all three of those things sort of combined. Um, And, and even I said three, not two, Uh, I, I distinguish just a natural gift from something that I really felt that, you know, yeah. was dropped in me, um, not just, you know, before birth, so to speak, but something that was given me, you know, by, by the Lord. The Spirit. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think in a similar fashion, an understanding of, you know, how people work and human personality and relationships, yeah. um, I see elements of all three of those things as well. A natural gift, maybe a spiritual gift, yeah. and some training uh, that have gone into that. So For sure. Yeah, I, the total side note, but whenever... Whenever I think about um, the difference between kind of like natural genetic predispositions or, you know, whatever, wiring, however you want to call that, and spiritual gifts, I think about there's a couple of people that I know that they just have the gift of evangelism. Um, And you you haven't met either of these people. Uh, One of them was a guy I met in college. Uh, he's an older guy. He was actually a campus police. He actually led Tammy to, to faith in Christ. Um, mm. And then the other was a guy who was a part of our church very early on here. And both of them, this, this was kind of like how I've come to define spiritual gift. Both of them would do things in sharing their faith with people that if I did them, not only would they not work, but like I might get slapped. You know what I mean? Right. But for them, there just was a grace there for them to share their faith and for people to respond. It was really kind of crazy. You're like, man, how can you be that blunt? Or how can you be that forward and not offend people or not? It's like, well, they've just got the gift. That's mm-hmm. what it is. Like they've mm-hmm. got the gift. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I, like I said, this is a little bit of an aside, but what do you think about that as? I, well, I can definitely um, agree with that. Mm-hmm. You know, people, um, again, I was comparing and my interest in personality to right. music, um, most people don't realize that I couldn't sing mm. until after I came to Christ. Interesting. I remember going to a birthday party as uh, an eighth grader, and my brother was a singer. My older brother, he's four years older than I am. And so... You said four? Four years older, yeah. Um, because he was already singing in a band, and when I was in middle school, he was in high school in a band, four years older. Um, people just assumed that I could sing as well at this birthday party to be, be divided into groups of two or three or whatever teams for some sort of singing, whatever game that we were playing. And they just assumed that I could sing because my brother could sing and they were 
quite surprised when I couldn't. You know, I was just not, yep. you know, not a singer. And then, you know, coming to Christ and, huh. you know, that's cool. That gift sort of began to emerge. So that's super cool. Yeah. So another thing I wanted to ask you about as it relates to your personal history and your uh, interest in passion for and giftedness in, in the area of just understanding people um, is I know you share, I would use the term third culture person. Um, I don't, I don't know if we've talked about that specific term, but just as like you've shared some of your own story of like having to navigate different cultural environments, like being, uh, you know, like I'm here, then I'm here, then I'm here. Yes. And like, so, I mean, you can talk more about that if you want, but my question is how much do you think that has helped shape your ability to understand yourself and others? Well, I think one of the things that we've talked about in the past um, is I call myself bicultural. Right. And, um, you know, it's maybe in, in contrast or in relation to being biracial. Right. Um, although I certainly have DNA from different parts of the world in me, uh, for all <laughs> intents and purposes, I'm an African-American man. Right. That being said, I wasn't raised in a strictly African-American environment. Mm -hmm. And I've talked about that before. And, you know, when you're the... Uh, only black kid in a suburban, you know, school system, suburban culture, and you're immersed in that, you, um, you know, some people retain their original culture completely. Some people, um, you know, may mix some of their culture with, uh, you know, the other culture, you know, majority culture in this case. Um, you know, I, I think at the time it was my way of trying to, um, uh, find my way to navigate was just to immerse myself in the culture. Mm. And it wasn't anything that was conscious. It was just something right. I did. I was young enough and I adapted. And then, you know, doing that from my early years and then hitting high school and going back to the inner city and having to adjust back to that and, you know, kind of having to uh, think about, well, who am I, mm. you know, and, you know, when you're a teenager and you've got those culture changes and there's definitely a cultural difference between, um, going to an inner city black school, then going to, you know, middle school in the, in the all white suburbs, then going back to the inner city, you know, to a high school that's two fifths black, two fifths white, one fifth Hispanic. Uh, and, you know, for me, it was like, well, where do I fit in? Because yeah. everybody wants to fit in in high school. And initially, you know, there was a small group of people that I sort of hung out with, but I, I found that I didn't fit in. Mm. And, you know, certainly that's a painful thing. Um, you know, for a teenager, yeah. but you know, the good thing that, that comes out of those experiences is that you, um, you find ways to adjust and to navigate. And that's what I did. Yeah. And eventually in my early twenties, I realized it wasn't about fitting into one place or the other, mm. but that my unique upbringing and experience really allowed me to fit anywhere. Right. And so, um, when you have those kinds of stretching experiences, initially they're painful. Yeah. Um, but you grow as a result of them. And, Really, we don't really experience growth without pain, do we? No, not to, not to my knowledge. Yeah, not, no, not not in my experience. No, you know our comfort <laughs> me, is compromised. <laughs> our comfort is compromised, <laughs> and um, you know, as a result of that pain, we can grow. Yeah, um, and so that's what happened with me. And so you know, you're navigating different cultures, you're navigating different uh, personalities, etc., and you have to find a way to. Um, not just cope and survive, but really to thrive, to do well. Um, and again, I think it was my faith in Christ that um, empowered me, motivated me. You know, I went from this kid that was, uh, you know, uh, picked on probably the first year or so of high school, 
um, just because I was a smart kid. Mm. You know, people didn't know what to do with a smart black kid. They just didn't know what to do with that. Um, But then I came to Christ and I found myself, uh, rather than being this sort of reclusive, smart kid, you know, always in the books, I stayed in the books, but I found myself beginning to, you know, witness, beginning Mm. to share my faith, beginning to share the joy and the hope that I had in Mm. Christ. And that that, um, experience really trans, it completely changed how I interacted with other people. Yeah. Uh, rather than you know being the the kid that was whose books were bruised in the hallway, I was walking up to um, you know the guys that had been uh, my tormentors before that and beginning to share Christ with them. And they, how did that go over? They began to back off. That's fascinating. And I wasn't trying to threaten them. Right. It was stop bullying me or I'll sick Jesus on you. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, it's, it's the funny thing about that is that coming to Christ adds uh, a confidence and inner yeah. strength to your life that that nothing else can or will. For sure. And, um, you know, uh, what does the scripture say? Who for the joy set before him endured the cross? That's yeah. Speaking of Jesus, there was, you know, the challenge of, of um, enduring all that I had gone through in those first two years. Yeah. But at, towards the end of my sophomore year and coming to Christ, and I remember walking... I walked through the doors of my high school, walked into my shop class, and by shop I mean horticulture. I went to McKinley High School, mm. um, and the other kids in class were like, "What's different about you?" Yeah. I mean, it was just you know an immediate something that people could see. And one person said, "I remember, I never forget this." They said, "Oh, it's the green shirt. He's wearing a green shirt. It's a bright green shirt." And um, I said to them, "It's not what's on me. It's it's what's in me." Yeah. And there wasn't one other girl in the class who immediately knew what that was. And she pulled me aside and she said, you're a Christian, aren't you? I said, yes, yes. That's cool. So yeah, that was, that's kind of my, um, that's a part of my origin story. If I want to put it that way, as far as my faith in Christ, it really transformed my life. And from there, you know, when you begin to to, um, gather a sense of confidence in who God is making you and who he wants you to be, and you begin to understand the world through that lens, um, you know, my curiosity and, and that natural giftedness and and the other things kind of led to why are people the way they are? You know, yeah. why do they why do they do what they do? I've always asked those questions. I think I remember asking those questions about my parents, about my my family. And, you know, you get answers sometimes, but sometimes you just don't know what's going on there. But it made me curious enough to want to find out and to want to understand. Yeah. No, that's cool. That's that's all super cool. Um so your your coming to faith in Christ played a big role in this. Your um, uh, your just some of your own personal history, both painful and um, formative experiences. Um, some of your natural wiring, some of the way God's gifted you, all have pointed you in the direction of understanding people and um, I don't know, being able to help people understand themselves. You know, what's interesting about that, and I was thinking about this earlier today, and I've always looked at people, um, I've always stood, understood the, the, or the, the shaping of a person mm-hmm. and how they operate um, with three elements. Okay. And the three elements are temperament, which is sort of an inborn, um, that's how you're wired, 
and then personality, okay. which is how uh, that temperament interacts with the social environment that we're surrounded by. Okay. So we develop certain ways of doing and being and presenting ourselves, sort of the persona, the, the person that we present to the outside world. Okay. Gotcha. And then on top of that is, you know, character. Yeah. And character right. um, is hopefully something that we develop both because of, um, you know, our connection with God, with the divine, yeah. with something greater than ourselves, but also um, with um, a sense of morals, a sense of what, what is right. Yeah. And we make choices that are maybe in line with our temperament or personality, but sometimes they're in, in contrast to those because we choose to, you know, relate to others with um, whether we call it the fruit of the spirit, you know, love, joy, peace, patience, etc. Whether we call it, you know, being mindful of our fellow man, whatever it is that we want to put on that. For me as a Christian, obviously, I would refer to to the gospel and to the person of Christ as an example. Yeah. But beyond that... Be clothed in Christ. Yeah, yeah. So all those those elements that the scripture talks about that, you know, uh, we're called to clothe ourselves with humility and kindness and goodness and all those things. Those are things that are probably not always natural to our temperament and maybe not always, you know, necessarily something that we've acquired in our personality. But those are the three elements that really determine... Um, you know, maturity, what kind of much, what kind of person that we become as far as mature. Can you, can you unpack for me more what you mean by temperament and what you mean by personality and how those two things are different? Yes. So again, that inborn, you know, I think about uh, my kids. I think about my grandson. Mm -hmm. I think about myself. I think about the Uh difference between me and my, my two brothers. Um, We're, we're very different and we were um, raised very differently because of our age and our, and our family situation. But um, there's some things that we have in, in common and there's some things that are completely different. So temperament, um, you know, from interacting with your own kids, um, you can raise your kids in the same house with the same rules, mm-hmm. the same environment, basically, but they hear what you're saying very differently Yep. and they respond very differently. Even more so, yes. And uh, they understand, you know, they perceive the world very differently. And a lot of that is about temperament. So what, so if you were to use, you know, so like the, the Enneagram, um, you know, I mean, we can just stick with you and I, so you're, you're a two, I'm a seven. Um, and you know, twos are kind of like motivated by that desire to, to love and care for others and to, to feel, um, kind of like, I guess like meaningful as somebody who is offering love to people, right. To be right. And sevens are, it's like the primary motivation is more about uh, the pursuit of pleasure and the avoidance of pain. Right. Um, so is that like, would you call that temperament? Would you call that personality or both? Or like, does that make sense? What I'm asking? Yeah. I'm I trying to figure out what goes where. Cause yeah. to me, I probably would have used those terms interchangeably. I can appreciate that. But, um, and I'm not sure if I can answer your question directly, but okay. let me, let me pull back and, and, and uh, uh, come at it from a different angle. As you know, kids, uh, whether it's their sleep patterns, um, mm-hmm. how they respond, some kids they come out of the womb and they're, um, you know, they're crybabies or they're docile or they're happy. Yeah. Um, some kids are, um, their learning style is, you know, you say, don't touch the stove, they have to touch the stove. <laughs> and that's that's something that's just sort of there. Um, before they develop all the different aspects of personality. Yeah. 
And so to, to kind of differentiate between personality and temperament a little bit more for you, uh, we may have certain things in our temperament that are natural to us. It's just our natural inborn nature. Gotcha. Um, to to be redundant, natural inborn nature. I know that's a little bit redundant, but it's all right. it works. Yes. Um, whereas personality is, again, what we present to the outside world, um, how we choose to be seen and heard. Gotcha. Um, and how we um, make our decisions or how we interact, et cetera. Uh, and sometimes those aren't the same. Gotcha. Uh, for instance, if you look at, um, you know, I'm going to borrow a little bit from psychology for here for just a second. Um, you know, um, you know, Jung talked about how uh, we have certain traits that are, um, you know, like as, as a man that maybe are considered masculine or manly. Right. And we want to put those those traits as a man out in the front in the personality. So we want to be, um, you know, seen as brave and courageous or as strong or whatever those traits are that we um, perhaps intelligent or, um, you know, uh, a good strategist, whatever those traits are. Yep. But we also have contrasting traits, times that we're afraid, times that we really, if it weren't for, um, you know, what uh, our environment might demand of us, we might cower. Yeah. Um, we might, um, you know, if we think of other traits like being, you know, truthful or honest or integrous, you know, we might want to actually be, uh, deceitful or cunning or, uh, you know, uh, shrewdness is one of those kind of in-between traits where there's elements, to, it's <laughs> times to be shrewd and there's times not to be shrewd. Right. Um, or maybe we are um, guileless and innocent by nature, but we have to learn how to be a little bit less um, innocent, less naive. Slightly shrewder. Yeah, <laughs> yes. So, um, you know, is it, is it interesting where Jesus says that we should be wise as serpents and innocent as doves, as right. an example? So that's the right balance, the right balance. And that actually speaks to character, right? That, that passage, Jesus is talking yeah. about the time when we know what the right thing to do. And that has to do with wisdom. Yeah. So wisdom is having the, the knowledge and knowing when to apply it. Yep. And when it is the right time to do, you know, to act a certain way. Um, but we may have a personality that says, uh, I'm sorry, we may have a temperament that says I'm naturally maybe introverted or timid or shy. Uh, but we may have to develop a personality that is a little bit different than that. Yeah, no, that um, makes sense. Yeah. So, so. I, I, I understand how you're using those terms. And I think that's a helpful, like to be able to, I think that's one of the things that's probably been most helpful for me specifically about the Enneagram, which is the first personality tool that I learned. Mm-hmm. Um, although I've since learned others, um, is that really as at least as i understand it at the core of it is this attempt to get at some of your core drive or or your core drive that may or may not actually be on the surface in some of your behaviors to others certainly but not always even to yourself mm-hmm. and so that like that distinction between what's inside of you that is there that's a part of the way you're wired versus like what you how how you choose to kind of express that you know you were talking about the difference between projecting bravery to the world versus <laughs> sometimes lacking it on the inside yeah um and but then also like character is where kind of like decisions of the will and habits of of behavior come into play that help you to well to navigate the tensions between what is going on in the inside and what you choose to project and to navigate that in ways that ultimately, hopefully are godly. Right. Right. Yeah. You think about even, you know, a kid that naturally wants to slip and slide and, you know, right. Um, Pointing to, at myself right now. Well, 
you know, we all have an ability to go there where right. we are, um, whether it's, it's sevens uh, uniquely. So perhaps, um, I think every temperament or I should say every Enneagram type or every personality type has its own challenge with those things. Right. We tend to think that certain, uh, strengths or weaknesses are sort of constellated or limited to, uh, you know, a certain type, yep. but really all the virtues and all the vices oh, sure. are perhaps in seed form available to us. And at I'm any sure. point we can, we can yeah. slip and slide and we can, we can uh, respond like Jacob, you yeah, know, I've, where we're deceitful or we can find ways to, um, you know, to overcome that. So, yeah, I was just gonna say, I think I have either it, at least, at least as Jesus defines uh, obedience to the 10 commandments, I've violated all 10 of them. So everyone as one of us has. Right. So and that's, that's why we need a savior, right? right? Right. So being a seven, you don't just violate one seventh of the commandments. <laughs> <laughs> or one ninth, I guess it would be. Right. right. No, yeah, I think that's fair. But I do know, I mean, I know for me, um, certainly as a kid, but even now as an adult, the, like as a seven, the, the temptation is to avoid painful circumstances in the present and just ignore the potential for painful circumstances in the future. And that's, that's an easy, um, rationale for dishonesty. You know what I mean? Is like, well, I'll just tell this person what they want to hear, which obviously never works in the long run. It's like an, an incredibly stupid long-term strategy, but it's a great short-term strategy. Right. So, but the, but the challenge or for the challenge and our understanding of that is every one of those Enneagram types mm-hmm. has reasons or has, uh, uh pressure points and yeah, reasons why they would probably be deceitful. No, that's fair. Yeah, actually. I, I mean, I was thinking specifically of um, one of my children who's a one who is very honest. But there are places where like in the, the pr- probably around like decorum or politeness or like that's a place where they could be induced to deceit or tempted to it, I guess. Right. And if you remember anything about the Enneagram, we're kind of jumping ahead here for just a moment. But, um, you know, in my study of the Enneagram, I have there's a couple of things that I've I've discovered. Mm. And um, these are things that maybe someone else has said. I'm not pretending to have um, come up with this idea, but these are things that just make sense to me. One is if we believe that, um, you know, we are all, uh, you know, created by God in his image and we have all these multifaceted abilities and and temperaments and therefore personalities, then really, you know, the Enneagram and the different types are intended to reflect different aspects of the nature of God, the nature of the divine. And so if that's the case, then all of us, um, you know, we can aspire to be uh, to our highest good, so to speak, to, to emulate Christ in some way, to emulate the nature of God. Uh, but we can also um, go in the other direction where we embrace, mm. you know, complete carnality or depravity. Yeah. And if we are unhealthy, then no matter what our type is, um, we're going to find ourselves not being true to who we're supposed to be. And isn't that really the essence of deceit? Yeah. You know, so, no, I agree. so we've got these nine different types. And then if you, again, from studying the Enneagram, each type has nine different levels three levels of healthiness, three levels of average health, and three levels where we are unhealthy. We're making decisions that are, you know, a compromise to uh, to goodness, to God's nature, uh, to our best. And if that's the case, then, you know, it really does mean that, you know, 
even though people might be the same type, they can right. come off looking very differently. So, yeah. um, so I want to come back to um, some of the tools that you've learned and some of the insights you've gained from them. But before we do that, um, so I know you've run into people like this, even though I don't think you and I have talked about it explicitly. But whenever I talk about personality with anybody or with a group of people, there always is somebody who's like, I hate this stuff. I don't want to talk about it. Don't put me in a box like that, that kind of, right? So just assuming that there's a few of those people listening right now who have been like <laughs> wanting to turn the podcast off and hopefully they haven't done that yet. Like what, what do you say to people like that? And what would you t say to somebody who said to you, like, I'm more than just a number or I don't like these personality type, you know, uh, profiles or, you know, like how, how do you, how do you speak to people like that? Well, interesting enough, um, I've got some people like that that are not, you know, they're pretty close to me and, yeah. um, and I can, you know, I can appreciate that kind of thinking. Um, number one, I, I applaud that we are not, we do not fit into boxes. There's more than just nine types of us. Yes. And, um, <laughs> uh, not only that, but it's a tool. Okay. It's a tool of understanding. Um, it's not, you know, it, it's not, um, a perfectly understood system. I'll put it that way. Um, whether you're talking about uh, the the Enneagram, uh, some people like the Myers-Briggs. I'm also a fan of that. You, you, you mentioned a, a third one. I think it's... Uh, the Big Five? Yes, the Big mm -hmm. Five. And there are lots of them. They're tools. So when you understand them as tools, uh, if you are working with tools, if you, you know, are a carpenter, you have different tools that you use. If you are a plumber, you have different tools that you use. Yep. Um, if you are working with human personality, you have different tools that you can use. And no one tool is going to always be used at, you know, for everything that you encounter. That's number yeah. one. Number two, if you recognize that, and, and this is something that I um, do all the time, is I actually overlay the Myers-Briggs and yeah. the Enneagram. No, I know. That's one of the things. I mean, you're, so I think I just learned the Enneagram when I was in high school and as I encountered some of the other assessments out there, I just kind of was like, man, I got my, I got the Enneagram. I don't need that. And then right. I think you're the first person that I started hanging out with who did that. You're like, Oh no, I want, I want to collect all the tools. I'm like, huh, that actually seems smarter than like, than what I've done. And so it's been hanging out with you that I've learned Myers-Briggs. And I think, you know, you didn't introduce me to the big five, but I was a lot more open to learning it because of my relationship and the conversations I've had with you. So talk more about that. Like you were, you were, I interrupted you, but you were going to talk yeah. about how important that is for you to like bring lots of different tools to bear. Right. So, um, you know, I was just as an example, I was, um, trying to turn off the faucet. Um, no, I was actually trying to, to, to detach the hose, um, outside of my house okay. for the winter, just a few weeks ago before it got really cold. And it was already, it was a cold day and I was trying to twist the, um, twist the nozzle off and I couldn't get it to budge. Okay. And so I went down into my toolbox, which it's a toolbox that I actually got when I was engaged. Someone gave it to me, you know, okay. a bunch, my best man gathered a bunch of funds and everybody contributed and they gave me this toolbox knowing that I had no idea how to use it. And probably over the years that I've had it, um, my wife and kids have used it more than I have. So let's be honest about it. But um, I went down and, and found uh, a wrench, a pipe wrench, and I was able to get it off using that tool. 
Yeah. Uh, but if I hadn't been able to use that, I maybe would have you know pulled out a pair of pliers. And I didn't use a pair of pliers because I didn't want to to damage the actual nozzle itself. Um, you know, I could have used um, in situations like that. I could have used some you know WD forty or whatever. But the point is, you want to use whatever tools in your toolbox that are available to help you to right. accomplish the task. Um, so that's number one. I've, I've kind of c- covered that. Number two is, as far as the whole box thing, it, it's a mistake that I did make early on. Mm-hmm. I'll be honest. It's easy to put people into boxes, to think that you have them all figured out, to have a shortcut to understanding human personality. And then people, there are people out there who will, when they know that you're doing that, will defy that. They will surprise you. Um, and they will, they don't even want to talk to you about it. You know, they just shut that conversation down. Uh, and that's fair because people, you know, when they feel like they're being put into boxes, they feel like they're being judged. Mm. And so, you know, it's one of the mistakes that I made early on in using this tool was you think that you know more than you actually do your own, um, you know, perspective becomes bigger than it ought to be. You can find yourself, you know, subjected or to your own hubris your own pride yeah and that's that's definitely a pitfall and so i had to get out of that and avoid that and one of the things that i've kind of had to uh, acknowledge is that even though these are tools and they help us to understand you know people human personality interactions uh we still have a lot to learn yeah and people are allowed to defy our expectations and we don't have them all figured out yeah uh human beings are very complex individuals mm-hmm. but if you see these personality uh you know, uh, matrices, matrices as uh, tools, it helps us to understand what we can understand. And if you're interacting with someone who has some reticence, you have to take the time to get to know them as a person. Mm-hmm. You can't treat people like numbers or like letters or like um, anything other than the human beings that they are. Right. And in, when you're dialoguing with someone, it's important that you allow them to tell you about who they are. Um, you might have you know, some presuppositions or some guesses or some insights. But then really when you're interacting with people, it's important to allow them to show you who they are because not everybody wants to be known. Right. Especially not without, you know, especially without their permission. Hmm. No, that's fair. If you walked up to someone's home with tools to fix something that, you know, (laughs) they didn't ask you to fix, they'd be calling either the police or 911 or they'd come out with their shotgun. So no, it's not any fair. different. You, you know, you yeah. need to have permission to step into people's lives. If you recognize that, you know, the human soul is, um, it's holy ground. Yeah, no, that's good. I think that's really good, Chuck. And I think that uh, one of the things that I learned a long time ago, um, so I'm about to, I'm about to actually kind of like push back against what you said, but, but not exactly. Um, so, uh, the, the pastor of the church that we were a part of the, 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 the husband and wife, the, the wife, her name was Nancy. And she was somebody who had like a really, um, I would say like a strong prophetic gift. Like she would get prophetic words a lot, but one of the things that it was one of the things that I really appreciated about her and learned from her is that, um, the only time she would say to somebody that she had a prophetic word for them was with somebody that she knew was comfortable receiving a prophetic word. Um, so she would never say to like random people, even random people in the church, I've got a prophetic word for you. So like I sat at lunch with them on multiple occasions where she got a prophetic word for somebody either at the table or the waitress or somebody in the restaurant. And she would never go to them. I have a prophetic word for you. She would just share the word. 
and like watch what God would do with that, you know? Um, like, Hey, how, how, you know, like, how are your kids? And then the waitress would start crying or something like that. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Where it's like, Oh, so you don't have to like go thus saith the Lord and then hit him with something. You could just like kind of sneak attack the prophetic word on him. You know what I mean? And so I say that to say, I think one of the things that has been helpful for me in, um, in my relationships just as a human, but then also as, um, like as, as a, like as a pastor, as somebody who actually is like, I, I work with people as a part of my, my ministry, my calling is to have, to have those tools at my disposal, but I don't always necessarily need to say, Hey, I'm pulling out the Enneagram now, or Hey, I'm pull-, like, I don't have to do that with people. I can just ask questions like, you know, Hey, like what motivated that behavior? Did you say that to me because you were angry or did you say that? You know what I mean? Like there's still questions that I could ask that people are a lot more receptive to than, Oh, I see that you're an eight. And that means that, you know what I mean? Like you don't have to be as, I guess, obtuse or kind of upfront with some of those tools because yeah, people don't all, I mean, some people do like, again, like you and I, we can do that in our conversations with each other, but we have that relationship and we both know that it's fine for us to do that. But to your point, you you probably shouldn't do that with people who haven't agreed to it. Yeah, I would definitely say that. And again, if you're using tools, you're using them in context of relationship. Yeah, right. Um, when you don't have a relationship with someone, then you have to be mindful of that. Yeah. If you do have a relationship with someone, you have to actually be mindful of to what extent you have a relationship with right. them. How much trust is there? Right. If you think about um, engineers when they build a bridge. Mm. And usually after the bridge is built and it's been, you know, they test it. And then they say what the maximum, you know, weight is allowed to go over that bridge. It's usually, you know, whatever tons, you know. Um, and if you try Wait, to put. Signage for relationships. Well, you know what? It's, <laughs> there is, there are cues that people give us right. as to how much trust is in that relationship. And if you put, you put too much uh, or expect too much or ask too much and the trust isn't there to support it. Yeah. You're going to end up with a crumbled bridge. No, that's a great analogy. Yeah, it really is. There's probably a lot of um, stories connected to that bit of insight. <laughs> a lot of crumbled bridges. Well, you know, I think it's just human nature. We yeah. even, you know, to to share a little contrast, even the prophetic word that your you know pastor's wife would share with people. I'm sure the way that she did that. Yeah. She didn't have to, you know, um, announce and stand up and, you know, cross herself or whatever, say, and, and say, I've got a thus say of the Lord word from God. Right. She just simply interacted with people. Exactly. And, you know, asking questions is a great way to interact with people to get to know them. And their answers are often um, not only revealing as far as what they say, how they say it. Right. Their body language, yeah. um, their demeanor when they're interacting with you, and even how you present yourself. Um, you know, outside of even, even prophetic word, but just interactions, human interactions with people. Um, are you someone that is trustworthy? Are you someone that is um, approachable? Um, if I was, um, you know, a warrior on the battlefield, I have a very different demeanor and a different set of equipment and tools, et cetera. Right. But if I'm a medic on the battlefield, my tools are very different. Yeah. You know, so both battlefields. And if I'm not on the battlefield at all, if I'm just having an interaction with someone, um, how you interact with that person makes all the difference in the world. Yeah. We've talked about this before, Steve. You know, it's only 8% of communication is are the actual words that we say. 
That's so hard for you somebody know. like me. So, and then 35 is your tone of voice <laughs> and 55 is all those nonverbal body language cues and whatever that, that we put out there. You've been watching me fight with my wife again, haven't you? <laughs> <laughs> well, Steve, I've not watched you fight with your wife, but I've had enough interactions with my own wife to know that sometimes the tone and the body language can make all the difference in the world. And not just, you know, my wife, but my kids and other people yeah. that I interact with. And, um, you know, if we are unsettled in ourselves, that, that could be anger, it could be fear, it could be a combination of both, yeah. um, that comes across whether we like it or not. And so much better to get ourselves uh, back to a place of clarity um, when we communicate with others. Yeah. You know, and the, you, a lot of times the moment the voice raise is, raises as far as volume or intensity, um, the ability to actually effectively communicate decreases dramatically. So we know that. <laughs> I would like to agree with you, but I have to confess that I don't always know that. We know it, but sometimes in the moment we forget. Yes. Because we get overwhelmed with whatever it is that we're thinking or feeling. All right. I got it. This is kind of a little bit of a sidebar. Sure. Um, but it's related. So, as a as a pastor there is there's kind of like this professional relationship kind of thing right so like a lot of what you have been talking about you know certainly predates your time in ministry but also a lot of it really comes out of your i mean you were in you know i know you you wore a lot of different hats as a pastor yeah, and you, you definitely involved with church ministry for a lot of years. Well, so, but yeah. you, you also have done a, a lot of just kind of like counseling ministry, working with people. I know you've yes. also done administrative things and worship leading and, and different yes. things like that. But so all that to say, I think you probably have felt. So I've had this conversation with my wife where she's like, okay, I've watched you with other people have all of this kind of like wisdom about how to like navigate relationships and like, and then, and then you are interacting with me or with the kids and it's all gone. It's like not there. And I don't even know what the question is for you in that. I mean, I guess I'm assuming that that resonates with you. Like you've had that experience and what too many times, what is that? How it, can you, how can you be that good at understanding people and, being sensitive to their emotional needs and not allowing that to goad you into responding with defensiveness or more emotion. How can you be like that? And I'm, I'm not saying I'm great at that, but like I have the ability to do that. But then there are settings where I lose that ability. Well, Steve, I guess probably the easiest thing for me to, to do was to talk about my own life experience. Okay. And you know, as much as I was the answer guy, so to speak, um, in, in serving in ministry for many years, it wasn't, it didn't mean that I didn't have issues of my own in my own marriage, in my own household, in my own, um, you know, role as a father. Yeah. It didn't mean I didn't make my own mistakes. I made lots and lots and lots of them. And it's only been, I don't know, maybe the last 10 years where I've really been able to, um, not only own those mistakes, um, and not really the last 10 years, really the last maybe 20 years where I've gotten a little bit better, but the last 10 years, if you ask my wife, um, I've gotten better at being able to acknowledge some of those areas, um, to make some changes in those areas so that I'm a better husband and a better father. Um, you know, my own dad died when I was 16. And so 
you know, when you don't have your my parents were, you know, weren't married until well, they were married until I was three and a half and then they divorced. So we don't have that that nice, wholesome family background uh, as a part of your own upbringing. You do the best that you can. You make lots of mistakes. You make lots of assumptions. You um, you know, there's certain insecurities that that enter um, into your personality. Um, and I use that word on, pur- on purpose yeah. there. They may not have been a part of your temperament. They're part of your personality because of the, your social environment and what happened to you. Mm. And you develop certain ways of doing things. You develop certain um, uh, insecurities, fears, etc. And uh, the, the difficult thing was uh, you end up, no matter how professional you are in ministry, and not that you do that perfectly either, you certainly make mistakes, but with your family, there's a certain amount of letting your guard down. You don't have your your pastor's hat on, your ministry hat on or whatever. And you can become a little bit more lax and maybe more of the real person, not the persona, not the, what you present to the outside world comes out. Yeah. And so that's where sometimes you, re- you revert back to temperament or you revert back to elements of what are, what's in your shadow, the back part of the personality. Yeah. And the character hasn't really developed. You can put on a certain face and, and do a certain thing, the professional voice, the whole nine yards. Interesting. And it looks good, yep. but it doesn't always reflect who you really are. But real character is consistent through and through. Yeah. And so my wife has told me um, she's been able to graciously live with a lot of my failings and uh, been a an iron sharpening iron to help me to address some of those, still work through some of those on occasion, still have moments where I am, you know, less than my best self, you know, have to go back and apologize, say I was wrong, ask mm-hmm. her to forgive me, you know, and and go on. And, you know, 33 years of marriage uh, we've been through thick and thin together, so she does forgive me, and I forgive her as well. Less often, because I don't have to as often. She's a person who has, her character is, um, she's a godly woman. I can I, All I can say is she's a very godly woman, so I'm very thankful for that. And she's been through a lot uh, with me. But having said that, um, we let our guard down, and we put on a certain face uh, to the public. And, then, and this is true not just with you and I, but... Anyone who's in a professional eye, whether we're talking about the clergy or any people who are in any kind of public leadership or whatever, um, we will tend to present ourselves a certain way, yeah. but it doesn't mean that's who we really are. Right. So that's why I was talking about the difference between temperament, no, 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 personality, yeah. and character. I think that, so the, some of the, the ways you were talking about character in the last five minutes were really helpful in that there's a distinction between kind of like so if you distinguish between public persona or personality and the kind of like hidden temperament and then if you have quote unquote character that resides solely in your your personality or your public persona then it's not actually character not because at all. it actually has to cross both into that like it has to shape both that that hidden side of you as well as the public side of you for it to truly count as character yeah. No, yeah. that's that's a super helpful way of talking about that. Yeah. It's also it's also um convicting and scary to talk about it like that. <laughs> but it's true. But it's absolutely true. And usually character is only developed through adversity, pain, yeah. trial, test. Yeah. And that's really what life's all about, isn't it? Pain, suffering. 
We're sounding well, like Buddhists now. Well, <laughs> it's not that it's about pain and suffering. I'm it's just, about learning right. and becoming better as a result of it. So, yeah, yeah. yeah, and yeah, it sounds like Buddhism, but really, it's well, the it's the way of Christ, isn't I know, it? I was going to say as much as as much as Buddhists would say that you know the the first noble truth is life is suffering. As Christians, we would say you know you can't be a disciple of Jesus if you won't pick up your cross and follow him. So yeah. Yeah. It, it might be one of those places where Buddhism and Christianity align. Yeah. And it's an unpopular part of right. Christianity, unfortunately, in today's culture and society. We don't want to hear about suffering and pain. Um, we tend to want to, especially as American Christians, we want to assert our rights. We want to be right. We want to be, um, you know, uh, be seen as righteous. Mm-hmm. And, you know, righteousness is really only demonstrated when we have endured something and chosen God above ourselves, above our own selfishness. Yeah. Yes. I agree. And and we, and we embrace that when we embrace, you know, the life of Christ, the character of Christ. And let's be honest. We, we know that's true theoretically. We know that's true theologically, but experiencing that living that is not easy. And many times we fall so short of that. Uh, but we can still aspire to that and we can still um, seek to develop that. And life will bring us enough challenges to give us opportunities to embrace that. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it will. Well, and yeah, I mean, this is um, definitely a different context and a different reality, but one of the things that we've said a lot about um, raising kids and the whole kind of relationship between kids and safety and all, all of that kind of stuff is that, uh, you know, if, if you didn't break a bone as a child, you didn't have a good childhood, right? Now, there's such a thing as breaking too many bones. <laughs> so yeah. like you can overdo yeah. it. But if you didn't break a single bone, you know, and, you know, for all those people who are listening to me who never broke a bone, you you, you get what I'm saying. I'm not saying you didn't have a good childhood, but at the very least, you should risk having broken bones. And if you didn't even risk having broken bones, you definitely didn't have a good childhood. And, but another way of saying that is that, the good life involves pain and suffering risk. Yeah. Right. Risk. Exactly. And that, that that's a part of the path of, um, uh, yeah, of life that it, like if we're going to be people who are genuinely following Christ in our lives and living the life that God wants us to live, like we can't avoid pain or the risk of pain, uh, or a failure or the risk of failure, you know, all, all the, all, all of the many myriads of kinds of pain that exist, not just physical pain, but emotional pain, moral pain, that all of those things are a part of what it means to live a good life. And to your point, the development of true character, not just, um, I guess, you know, public character, which really isn't character at all. It's an act. It's a, it's a facade. Mm-hmm. Um, not that there aren't times and places for it, but like, it's just not, it's not the same thing. And yeah. We can spend a lot of time developing the persona, right. The public image. And there, it is valid to have a, a good persona. Right. Um, a good reputation is not easy to, to obtain or to keep, but it has to go deeper than that. Right. And exactly. So character exactly. has to go, not, you have to go past the, the face that we show mm-hmm. to the outside world, to the condition of our hearts. Yeah. And that's an ever, uh, developing ever evolving process. Yeah, it is. You're saying it doesn't end. Does it end at death? You, I'm going to ask you to put your theological hat on, you know, <laughs> or does our character continue to develop beyond our physical death? 
I, I don't have an answer for that. <laughs> and uh, it's beyond the scope of this conversation. Well, not only that, but sometimes we can find ourselves being asked questions that we don't have answers to. And I think the best thing we can do is to say, I don't know. When I get there, I'll let you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's fair. Yeah. Uh, oh, what else should we talk about? We've been talking for almost an hour. Wow. Well, um, do you have questions to me about how I've learned to interact with uh, mm. the different uh, types of people? Yeah, that's a that's a that's a good question. I mean, maybe. Um, I don't know that I that we should go through like all nine types of the Enneagram or anything like that. But if if you are going to give people um, practical advice on on doing that, like things you've learned about how to interact with different sorts of people, whether it's people different from yourself or how to learn how to interact with people, you know, some of the wisdom you've gained from just insights in yourself and others that you've gained from some of these tools. Yeah, what what kind, you know, if you're going to like teach a crash course on how to be a human being and relate to other humans. What would, what would go in that crash course? <laughs> well, I don't know if I could teach a crash course on how to relate to humans, but I can at least give you some thoughts. Yeah. Um, and you could, te- you could teach a crash course on how to relate well. to humans. <laughs> you I'm glad it. you think so. Oh, I know. Uh, yeah. Uh, to the, I mean, maybe that's the kind of thing that only Jesus is qualified to teach. I'm willing to acknowledge that that might be true. Um, but you, you could teach that class. Uh, there's so much to learn, Steve. And, and I think that's, um, I'm going to start off with that. There is so much to learn. Okay. Human beings are very complex. At the same time, we are in many ways very simple. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, that makes sense to me, but unpack that. Well, most of us have something that motivates us or a few things that motivate us. Most of us have something that is important to us that we value above all else. And I'm talking about in regard to relationships, in regard to life, not, you know, silver and gold and whatever. Um, Yeah, there's people who are, you know, after, uh, you know, money or power or pleasure or whatever. But um, in in a broader sense, like why is money important? Why is power important? Why is pleasure important? Underneath those tangible things, there's something that motivates us. And for most of us, it's something very simple, you know. It could be um, wanting to be accepted, wanting to belong, wanting to understand, uh, wanting to um, to be right, um, wanting peace, uh, wanting joy. And those are some of the things that you find at the core of some of the Enneagram types, example. Right. Um, and also, you know, and we'll come back to this as far as overlaying the Enneagram and the Myers-Briggs. And like I said, I'll come back to that. You could have two people who are the same Enneagram type, and yet they, uh, if their Myers-Briggs are very different, they present totally differently. Yeah. And so uh, this kind of hails back to something that we were talking about earlier as far as putting people in a box. When you recognize that the things that motivate us can be very simple, but how we express that in the outside world, how we interact with others, that can be very complex. Right. And... Uh, most of the time there are reasons for the things that we do. Those reasons could be valid or they could be, um, as my, my wife always says, puppy love. It's real to the puppy. <laughs> you know, so whatever, whatever is that we perceive, in many cases, that's our reality. It may not be yeah. reality as, we, as other people around us are, are recognizing it or agree to, yeah. but whatever we perceive, it tends to be our reality. And so therefore, if we perceive something a certain way, 
based on uh, our temperament, our interaction with the social environment, our personality, yeah. we will then respond, react, interact um, based on those perceptions. And we will undoubtedly be persuaded that we are um, on the right side of, you know, on, on the side of the angels, so to speak. Yeah. As I think about, I'm going to get off on this for just a second, but as I think about history, and I love history. Yeah. History has always uh, been something very fascinating to me because it really shows how people and groups, uh, so sociology, but also nations have interacted throughout history. It shows us how they've interacted over time and it shows us patterns. Yeah. And so as, as much as we are simple and also complex, as far as personality con- is concerned, we tend to create constellations of traits and interactions. And when you see a certain constellation in the sky, um, you know, you might see, you know, the Little Dipper or the Big Dipper, you know, Ursa Major, Ursa Minor. I used to love astronomy as well. You might see those constellations in the sky. You look up in the sky and you see the Big, the, the big Dipper. You recognize that, you know, the sides of the Big Dipper point upwards toward the Little Dipper to the North Star. Just having a sense of how things constellate, how they are, what the patterns that there are there can give you a sense of direction. Mm. Right. So yeah. isn't it, wasn't it the North Star that guided, you know, all the slaves that are, you know, on the Underground Railroad to Canada, to freedom, to the north. Yeah. Uh, so having a having guides, having things, you know, sort of like constellations in the sky helps guide people. Having recognizing the constellation or way things that uh, patterns that people have as far as personality also will help us and how we interact with them. Yeah. So that's something to be aware of, number one. Um, and as far as, you know, that, that simplicity of when you really understand a person's motives or when you have a, 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 an inkling into their motives, because you really can't read a heart. Right. People have to actually show that to you. Right. But they will often show you inklings or glimpses to their heart right. by the patterns. Yeah. And so if you begin to recognize the patterns for what they are, you can begin to go, oh, you ask questions. You ask questions to confirm if that pattern points to what you think it points to. Yeah. And if you are being plain with people and not um, conniving or clandestine or or cunning in in a certain way, you're not using your knowledge or your understanding or the answers to their questions to take advantage of them. Right. You're being uh, forthright, real. Right. You know, when I interact with people, I make it a point to try to, especially now at this point in my life, I'm not um, simply trying to unpack people. I'm sharing myself with them as well. Yeah, right. And, and that, so that matters. It does matter because what you're building in in your interactions with people are trust bridges. Right. And if you if you're just putting stuff over this, you know, out into the into the atmosphere with people, asking questions and driving all this information, but not sharing anything, people will not trust you. Right. And you don't really have a lasting relationship. You may have a uh, you may be able to analyze something, a situation, but you don't actually have a relationship. No, it has to go both ways. I mean, I yes. think if you if you're constantly seeking to know something about somebody else and never wanting to offer any insight into yourself, that feels bad in one way, but the the opposite also feels bad in another way when I'm constantly sharing about myself, but I'm not really interested in knowing anything about you. That also doesn't really feel like a relationship where we're building mutual trust. Right. So in light of that, Steve, I've talked about constellations and patterns. The other thing I want to mention mm. is focus. Okay. And what I mean by focus is actually listening. Mm, yeah. Um, I think we spend a lot of our time interacting with people 
and we haven't really developed good listening skills. Yeah. And like the patterns, if you begin to develop good listening skills, people will share themselves. Most of us want others to understand us. We want to be understood. It's a basic human motivation. Now, it doesn't come out as a survival motivation. Right. But after we've met some of the basic survival needs, you know, food, clothing, shelter, air, you know, a sense of safety, security, et cetera, when we begin to settle into relationships, we, we want people that we're interacting with to understand us. Yeah. And so listening is really the most powerful tool that we can employ. And I don't mean just listening because you're, you're present, but active listening, listening with purpose, listening with uh, the intent to understand, listening with compassion. Yeah. Because um, you can want to understand, but not have any compassion. <laughs> and people will pick that up as well. Yeah, right. And they will, um, at, after a certain point, they will tend to only share so much or so far, although shut down. Yeah. Um, so sharing yourself, listening with compassion, listening with intent. And then you're, you're not, again, this is, this is not a power thing. And I really want to emphasize that because people will often misuse mm. personality tools to gain, to try to gain advantage over other people. If you do that, you will inevitably have that backfire on you. You will, you will come across as a person that, that um, people can't trust and you'll end up alone. But if you use, you know, the ability to listen to others, to garner uh, trust and to share yourself and you create a mutual bond, we really do want to be understood. Yeah. So if you're seeking to understand someone else and they're seeking to understand you, you have a two-way relationship. You actually create this trust bridge, this trust bond. And that trust bridge or that trust bond can support a lot of weight. Yeah. And being able to support weight, you know, uh, whether you're talking about, you know, in, in ancient times, bridges being used to trade and to um you know allow for commerce etc it that kind of trade and commerce leads to a prosperous situation for both parties right right yeah so that's a, sort of an analogy for what can happen in your life healthy good solid relationships that um, are garnered by understanding yourself and others and sharing yourself and allowing others to do the same that really can lead to a prosperity in your life a, a, right. a, a joy a fullness you know when jesus talks about um I have come that you might have life and life to the full. Mm. Um, he's not talking about riches. He's not yeah. talking about money. He's talking about having a fulfilled life. Yeah. And the essence of a fulfilled life, obviously, is you know through our relationships. And that starts, of course, with a relationship with God. But then he says, you know, the two great commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah. So relationships are really the core to uh, the central part of what brings a fulfilled life. Yeah. Right? No, that's good. I like all that. And that's why understanding yourself, understanding others, understanding personality, um, being in touch with your own temperament, the temperament of others, recognizing what motivates them, what can help them, and even challenge them in some ways to develop character, to uh, persevere through adversity, to do that yourself, and then to be an example for others. Or to, to, as you're going through difficulty, um, people will then reach back to you and support you because you've been supporting them. Yeah. Um, those are things that in difficult times, um, you, um, you know, if you've already done your work, your own, your own work as far as your own life, your own inner work, 
and then you are seeking to share that with others and build relationships with others, then when you have difficulty and all of us will have our turn, several turns, that support system will be there for you in your own life to, um, to, to buoy you, to garner you, to help you through that season and to strengthen your life in general. Yeah. No, that's cool. That's why this is important. Yeah. Well, and I would, so there's a lot you said there that I was appreciating. One of the things that you said that got me thinking about some of where we started this conversation, just that, you know, people who don't necessarily like to be put in a box or don't like to be typed. And so they react negatively to some of the personality tools that at least some of the negative response to those is by people who feel like, um, they're, they're not actually being understood for who they are. They're just, you know, kind of being typecast typecast. Right. Exactly. And that that actually ends up being a way in which they're misunderstood instead of understood. And so there's that, Again, that in your in your words, um, there's this basic fundamental human desire to be understood that they're feeling like these tools actually will get in the way of, right? Which mm-hmm. you know they can exactly right. So to to again a point you've made several times, these tools can be a wonderful tool to help us get to know one another if that's our goal, if that's actually why we're using them, if we're using you know, whether it's the Enneagram or the big five or Myers-Briggs or, you know, even the, whatever, I don't know what the, the golden retriever one's called, but <laughs> that's like a super simple one, but, yes. but like whatever one we're using, if we're using it as a tool to control or manipulate or, or, you know, there's a myriad of, of bad motives, then, then, then it is actually getting in the way of, of somebody being known. But if we're genuinely using them as tools to get to know somebody, to understand them, then they can actually be really helpful in meeting that that need that you're highlighting that people have that people have this need or this desire to be understood and to be known to be loved really yeah by other people and ultimately by god yes if you think about it too that's the essence of community it's yeah. the essence of what we're called to um as believers in christ to create a you know a community yeah. where we can love one another and it's what we are it's what makes us um, irresistible to the world, and if we focus on that, um, then others will will ask the reason for the hope that we have. Yeah. They'll they won't just see it as some sort of theology that we're espousing, or some sort of doctrine that we're putting forth. Or see it in our relationships. Yeah. Um, you know what was it said about the disciples? They loved one another. Yeah. You know that's what drew people to Christ, and it's something that I think unfortunately we kind of get lost in. You know, um, we forget that that's why we're here um and it's something that i think we can get back to it's a challenge though for us because not only are people often not wanting to be put into a box or to be misunderstood but a lot of times we don't really understand ourselves yeah um you know i remember reading about the education system and how the education system you know our modern education system tends to focus on the mathematical logical and then anything that has to do with language and English. And so, you know, things like the SAT, they, they test for those things. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think educators have, have um, you know, developed or understood that to be at least seven, eight, maybe nine different intelligences. So things like bodily kinesthetic intelligence, the ability to work with one's body and to uh, maneuver and to be in touch with one's body, to do sports, et cetera, or to work with one's hands. Um, but and two that maybe aren't as tangible that are worth mentioning are interpersonal intelligence, yeah. uh, which you might say it's something that, you know, I 
uh, enjoy a degree of, uh, the ability to understand and relate to other, other people, but also intrapersonal intelligence. Yeah. The ability to be in touch with and aware of oneself. Um, and a lot of times, um, a tool like the Enneagram or a tool like the Myers-Briggs or any other personality tool can help us yeah. to get in touch with who we are, how God's wired us. Um, you know, even when, to, you know, to, to, uh, to turn to the scripture for just a moment in Romans chapter 12, where Paul talks about the different gifts, you know, whoever's right. gift is serving, let him serve, you know, whoever's gift is giving, let him give, etc. Um, you know, Paul is admonishing us to take what we have right. and to use it for God, to use it in a way that blesses others as well. Well, it takes identifying what your gift is in order for right. you to be able to do that. And so, you know, extrapolating from that example, to know oneself and one is most clearly able to see oneself uh, when one is looking, you know, to God and to how he reflects back on us. Uh, but to know oneself is, you know, really a starting point. Uh, and of course, to know God is, you know, if, if, if knowing oneself is one, knowing God is, is that, that zero point that we have to start at. Um, you know, but as a part of that process, he shows us who we are. I mean, think about it. We have to look in mirrors. We can't really see ourselves. Right. And if you think about the, how profound that is, it, when it comes to not just our physical appearance or our bodies or whatever, um, but our persons, our temperament, we begin to understand who we are in relationship to others. Yeah. Usually it's our, you know, primary caregivers, our parents, you know, our, our siblings, our family. Yeah. Um, and a lot of times um, our families, because of their own issues or hangups or human distortions, right. they don't always give us an accurate picture of ourselves. Right. And so coming to Christ is all about being able to, under the influence of, of God's spirit, to get a better picture of ourselves, to get a, a picture of not only who we are as far as, origin but who god intends us to be yeah and the body of christ if we're functioning properly yes. as far as in relationship they help us to see ourselves no it's the perfect tool for discernment yes and so god uses his body yeah. you know when we're functioning as we should you know hmm. um, and we need each other right so the hand can't say to the foot i don't need you the eye etc we need each other to actually see ourselves more clearly and so we need to develop intrapersonal intelligence and interpersonal intelligence. Mm. And personality tools are just tools to help us with that. They're just tools. Right. Nothing magical, nothing mystical, just tools. If we see them that way, we use them, they help us. We understand ourselves, we understand others, we build relationships, we further this thing called community, and we end up in a place where we are living an abundant life or joy. Yeah. You know, we we share that in our, our primary relationships with, with you know, our our, our loved ones, whether it's a spouse or uh, a sister, a brother, uh, a parent, a close friend, whoever we call family. Um, and, and when we do that, it enhances our lives. Why is it that men at the end of their lives never say things like, I should have worked at my job harder. Yeah. I should have made more money. They don't say things like that. Right. If they have things where they regret or things that they wish to say at the end of their lives, it's always about something regarding the primary people in their lives, the primary relationships, regrets on what they didn't do or should have done because those are the most important things. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. They are. And it's easy to forget that. You know, one of the things, one of the results of having both my father die when I was 16 and my mother die at 31. Mm. So, you know, two losses, two significant losses. Um, and first I'll talk about my father dying when I was 16. 
I was I was privileged to take care of him in the last year or so of his life, which was a lot of responsibility for a 16 year old. Right. And it made me a super responsible kid. And I kind of was already in that realm. But of course, life experiences, you know, my social situation, that's a personality developed. I've been caring for people, you know, since then and maybe even before that. Right. Um, but it also made me realize that we don't have guarantees mm. as to how long the people who are in our lives will be there. They can be there one day and gone the next. And so a lot of times in our relationships, we don't say what we really think, how we really feel. People don't know. And because they don't know, we don't, we don't put those elements, those building blocks into our trust bridge. And our trust bridges are often weaker because of it. Yeah, And so being able to share those things about, you know, with people that we care about, how much we do care about them, how much we love them, how much, how valuable they are to us, strengthens those trust bridges, strengthens yeah. those relationships, enhances our lives, creates stronger bonds. And so, you know, on the, on the one side, you know, having lots of loss like that, and not just, you know, father and mother, but also aunts and uncles from cancer, et cetera. Um, it, you know, you become very familiar with, with death and loss and, that has its own maybe negative impact. And you have to kind of, I had to kind of work through that. But on the on the positive side, it made me appreciate that the people who are important to me, right, they're never going to not know how I feel about them. Yeah. And I think that we don't, you know, in general, we don't spend enough time expressing those things to, to one another. You know, we just um, passed the holiday. We just mm -hmm. passed Thanksgiving. You know, we can be thankful for um you know god's grace in our lives we'd be thankful for um our job or, or our provisions whatever but you know the most important thing we should be thankful being thankful to god for are the people he's brought into our lives whether we are a single person and surrounded by friends or extended family right. whether we are married or with children or, or married without children we can be thankful for those relationships and we can thank god for them but we also need to be able to tell one another yeah. you know how much we appreciate those appreciate the other person or the other persons and those things, um, people need to hear that. They need to know that they're valuable to us. Yeah. And they can't be just words, obviously. No, right. You know, they have to be demonstrated in how we, we treat one another as well. Um, but those are things that I think are also crucial to creating a sense of community and family, whether yeah. the church or otherwise. No, I think that's that. Um, yeah, I agree. I, it's not that isn't something that comes naturally to me that. Um, kind of like affirming each other in the, the things that are, um, that we appreciate about each other. I think I tend to, um, that, so in, in my marriage, one of the things that we've learned about each other is out of the, you know, the whole kind of like, um, love languages idea mm -hmm. is that my wife and I have very different love languages and, um, I will offer affirmation and I do appreciate affirmation, but it's, it only comes like I would only affirm you if you did something heroic, you know what I mean? Mm. And like, if you do something heroic, I'll notice and I'll affirm you, you know what I mean? Um, and, and if I do something heroic and you affirm me, I'll feel good about it. But if you affirm me because I don't know, like I managed to get my shoes on this morning, that just feels really manipulative to me. It doesn't feel, it feels like belittling and it doesn't feel, I don't know. It just doesn't, it doesn't feel good to me. And so I don't offer that kind of affirmation to people, you know, that, um, I mean, there are situations where I do, like I try and just always tell my kids I love them or my wife that I love her, but that's not the same thing as, you know, I just really appreciated that, you know, you did the dishes today or, you know, like I, I, I don't like, that's something I've had to learn how to practice more. 
And I think that it's something that it's, it's not, it shouldn't just be for like immediately nuclear families. It should be for the church too, that we would both in large ways, but also in small ways, be able to communicate to each other, like what is meaningful about the relationships that we have with each other. Um, like it matters. Yeah. And you know what, Steve, I mean, you can sort of rag on yourself a little bit about that. Maybe that doesn't come natural to you. Yeah. It may come natural to me, but there are other of the five long right. branches that maybe aren't my strength. Yeah. And well, unfortunately we don't get to wrestle in church and that's my, uh, language, so. <laughs> <laughs> my love language is physical violence. <laughs> Fortunately, I have three children that share my love language. Sorry. Right. Sorry to my wife. Right. <laughs> well, and, and in my household, um, you know, verbal affirmation is a big deal for me, right? but not as much for my wife. She appreciates those things. She'll, yeah. she'll nod, but, um, you know, acts of service is big for her. Right. And so, um, if I'm, saying how much, how much I appreciate what she's done, yeah. then I'm affirming what she's done, you know, and yeah. the fact that she's demonstrated her love to me through acts of service is one thing. And then on the flip side, I've got to actually, on t- at times, and it's, I've learned to do this now, Right, I will demonstrate my love for her through acts of service. And we've talked about this enough, and so now she will also say, Thank you for doing that right. because she knows that that's valuable to me. So right. we've had to had the, that yeah. two way conversation because we have very different love languages as well. Yeah. And hers are not mine and mine are not hers. But if we do care about one another, we learn, we listen right. yeah. and we learn. No. And I think yeah. I, to your point, like you've, you've pointed this at the church quite a bit too, that, you know, the, some of us are fortunate enough to come from really godly families and some of us are unfortunate and did not come from godly families um, or even just healthy families. Uh, But for all people, the church, at least as I believe God wanted, wants it to be, is to be a fam, like a, a true family with genuine spiritual power where we actually love each other. And, you know, as you said earlier, like that becomes a mirror a truer mirror than maybe sometimes our own biological families have been for us to understand who we are and who God wants us to be. And even more than just a mirror, it actually becomes, you know, the training ground uh, within which we can actually become the man or the woman that God desires us to be and character. Uh, yes. Right. Yeah. So it, 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 I think that the, the church in, in, in its strongest, the church at its strongest and in its most beautiful and at its most faithful, absolutely is that. I mean, obviously the church can sometimes be incredibly broken and not be that too, but I certainly have had experiences personally with the church that has done that for me. Um, and I think, I think I know you well enough to know that the church has done that for you in some ways too. So. Yes. Yes, it has. I'm actually thinking about a situation right now with uh, a brother in Christ that, I was having some difficulty with uh, my voice. And of course, you know, I, I use my voice a lot. I've always used my voice a lot yep. as part of my jobs. And so um, a good friend of mine, um, someone who whose gifts and abilities are very different than mine. Um, but um, I remember going to uh, an altar at, at the church I was attending at the time uh, for prayer. And this brother began to pray for me. And it wasn't the words he said. Yeah. It wasn't, yes, he put his hands on me to pray for me, but it wasn't his laying out of hands. There was nothing magical about what happened in that sense, and I want to put it that. But you know what What? What made the difference 
was because of our relationship, because there was a relationship of trust and love. I knew this brother loved me. Yeah. My heart opened mm. so I could receive what he was saying, praying, and 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 the the presence of God could flow through this brother in Christ as an instrument to yeah. bring healing to yeah. my body. And so to me, that's how God intends right. for his work to be done through vessels that are connected and that love yeah. one another. Mm-hmm. You know, you think about people who walked up to Jesus, you know, the, the woman who, with the issue of blood, she watched up and she touched Jesus. Yeah. And, and there was this flow, this virtue. Well, when my brother went to pray for me, he was the robe yeah. of Christ. I touched the robe of Christ as he prayed for me and my heart opened up. Yeah. And so if we see ourselves as also instruments, tools yeah. in God's hand, and if we are building relationships and understanding one another so that we can have those relationships, then the presence and the power of God flows through that. And that's where the real power is. Yeah. We think the real power, unfortunately, in our country is, again, demanding our rights, politics, et cetera. And I'm not going to go into a whole bunch of that right now for this conversation, <laughs> although I could easily. Right. But the real power. That's our next recording. Yeah. The real power <laughs> is in us yeah. becoming instruments and tools of Christ. And we do that. We do that through loving one another. We do that right. through understanding one another. We do that through being connected to God and then being connected to one another. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that might be a good place for us to to stop the conversation. You think that's the, that's a good place? I think so. I okay, think cool. so. Well, thanks, Chuck. This was fun. This was a lot of fun. Yeah. Cool. We'll do it again. We definitely will. All right. Two Forty Two is a podcast of Buffalo Vineyard Church, in Buffalo, New York. Learn more about who we are and get in touch with us at buffalovineyard.org. We'd love it if you'd subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and leave us a rating. Thank you for listening.